I've frequently said when I get to preach on Commitment Class Sunday that we really don't need a sermon. Because we hear the stories of our students, and then I'm just like, okay, that's great, let's go. Um, But I wrote one, so we're going to do one today anyway. So, let's pray as we dive into God's Word. God, thanks for how you move in our lives. Thanks that you are always present and always near. You desire to come close to us. You desire to speak truth and love and life into us and over us. I pray that in these next few minutes, your voice would be the loudest one in this room. God, that you would speak to our hearts and our souls from your word. God, this time is yours. In your name we pray, amen. So a lot of you might not know this, but I had a pretty intense track career when I was in high school. I ran track for one season, my sophomore year, and I was actually really only there uh, so that I could tan a little bit after school and watch the boys. Um, But my coach put me on the 100 meter dash and uh, the 100 hurdles solely because I'm tall. And I didn't really show up to practice that much. Uh, because I didn't like it. And, and for some reason, in all of that, my coach didn't really care. It's like he knew that I was only going to do this one season, and then I would be done. Because I don't like running. And so that makes having a track career a little difficult. My sister says that this is my life's meme, that if I'm running, the rest of you should be too, because there's something chasing me. I do not like running. I don't understand people who do. My sister runs half marathons in Colorado, 5,000 feet above sea level, for fun. I have a friend who runs full marathons for fun. A friend who's done a triathlon, a friend who's done an Ironman. All of this, they say, is for fun. And I do not understand it. But they say to me that there is something about running that gives them life. There's something about running that's exciting to them. Have you ever ran because you were excited? Have you ever run towards something because you were excited? On my 30th birthday, a bunch of girlfriends and I went on a trip together. And one of my really good friends said that she couldn't join us that weekend because um, she had some work stuff that she couldn't get out of. But as I turned the corner in the Denver International Airport to get to our gate, there she was, sitting at our gate. She had rearranged some things and ended up being able to come and surprised me. And I ran to her. I feel like too frequently, when we are running, if we're not running in a race, we run out of panic or out of an emergency. But when was the last time you ran towards something or someone because of excitement? The story that we've been in the past few weeks is the prodigal son. And this morning, we're going to look at it from the father's perspective and how he ran. I'm going to read um, from the message, so it will be on the screen behind me. In Luke 15, Jesus said, There once was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. 
That means I want my inheritance. So the father divided his property between them. And it wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. And after he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine in the land, and he began to hurt. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. But he was so hungry that he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would give him any. And that brought him to his senses. And he said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down for three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going to go back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God, and I've sinned against you. I don't deserve to be called your son. But take me on as a hired hand. And he got up, and he went home to his father. And when he was still a long ways off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to his servants, quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it because we are going to feast tonight. We are going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead, but now alive. Given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. Henry Nouwen says that Jesus' whole life and preaching had only one aim, to reveal the inexhaustible and unlimited love that God has for his people and let that love guide them in their daily lives. And in this story, we see inexhaustible and unlimited love played out and experienced in two ways. The first way that we see this played out is that love runs. Why is this significant? Let's remember where this father was, where he had been left. His son came to him and said, Father, I'd like my share of your inheritance. This does not mean that he called his financial advisor and transferred some money. This means that the father literally divided up his physical property and his possessions into two camps so that his younger son could have his. And then his son, in order for him to leave with any physical money in his hands, his son had to take his share of the inheritance and sell it. So that meant that someone else was living on, tending to, and profiting from his father's land while his father was still living on it. N.T. Wright says that the shame that this would bring on a family would be added to the shame that the son had already brought on his family and his father by asking for his share of, his, of the inheritance. It was the equivalent of saying to his father, I wish you were dead. The father bears both these blows without any recrimination. 
And then after the son blew that money on his own indulgences, as Jake said a couple weeks ago when he was preaching on this topic, on his 72 hours in Vegas, he found himself literally and figuratively in a pigsty. And what did the father do? What would you do? Not just in a parent-child relationship, in any relationship, if you were left in this place, if you had had this happen to you, how would you respond? The father ran. Because inexhaustible and unlimited love runs. That kind of love, it doesn't stay mad. It doesn't shun. It doesn't shame. It doesn't keep you at arm's length. And it does not require makeup work. The father saw his son coming, his son turning away from his old life. And so he ran to him. And to add insult to injury in this case, men of a certain age in this culture and of this socioeconomic status, they didn't run. It was very undignified for them to run. So by running in this moment, the father was choosing more shame to be added to his shoulders for his son's sake. Kenneth Bailey, uh, who authored The Cross and the Prodigal, explains that if a Jewish son lost his inheritance among Gentiles and then tried to return to the community, the community would hold a ceremony that they would break a pot in front of them, in front of the young son, and yell, you are now cut off. And the community would reject him. And we don't know exactly what the father did or, or how Jesus wants to tell this story, but he's telling this story to a bunch of people who would have understood the customs and the ceremony that would have taken place. And in that moment, you see that the father got to the son first. And so by getting there first, he would have said to the community, not my son. You are not rejecting my son. I'm taking my son back. You are not humiliating my son. He's coming back into my household. The father had taken the full shame that should have fallen upon his son and clearly showed the entire community that his son was welcome back home. So he ran to him. This is the gospel. This is the inexhaustible and unlimited love that God has for us. Our Heavenly Father has taken our shame and he has put it on his son who went to the cross on our behalf. He took our sins. He took our brokenness so that we would not have to. And as a result, we can be forgiven and restored and accepted. We do not have to fear going home to our Father and confessing our sins because no matter what we have done and no matter how many times we have done it, our Father runs to us and welcomes us back home. And T. Wright goes on to say that only the Father could restore the Son to his place in his family. 
And with that single repentant step where the son turned around, the father was there. And what's amazing to me in this story is that it's not over there. Because remember, at the beginning, this father, he has two sons. And his older son has a piece to play and a way to show the father's inexhaustible and unlimited love as well. Because all this time, the Bible goes on to say, the older son was out in the field. And when the day's work had, was done, as he approached the house, he heard music. And he hadn't heard that in a long time. He called over to one of the houseboys and he asked, what's going on? And the houseboy said, your brother's home. He was dead and now he's alive. He was lost, but now he is found. And so your, your father has ordered that we throw a big party to celebrate that. But the older brother stalked off in, angry, in anger and refused to join in. But his father came out to him and tried to talk to him. His father came out to him and tried to talk to him. John's going to get into the story of the older brother next week a little bit more. But in this moment, we see that inexhaustible and unlimited love not only runs, but inexhaustible and unlimited love also invites. It says, come into the party. Come into my table. Come in and be a part of me and my way of life. Both of these young men are trying to find significance and their identity, but they are doing it in all the wrong places. And it doesn't sound that different from where we are today, does it? There are a lot of things that clamor for our attention, that try and tell us who we are, what our value is. They hypnotize us. They mesmerize us. They call us to walk away from the one thing, the one person who actually has the love that we need, the love that transforms, the love that fulfills, the love that gives us our significance and our purpose. Henry Nouwen wrote a book after he saw the painting, the Rembrandt painting of the prodigal son, and in it he says this, God is not the patriarch who stays home and doesn't move and expects his children to come to him, apologize for their horrible behavior, beg for forgiveness, and promise to do better. No. No. God is the God who leaves the house, ignoring his dignity by running towards them. He pays no attention to apologies and promises of change, but brings them richly to the table that he has prepared for him. Now one says, I'm beginning now to see how radically the character of my spiritual journey will change when I no longer think of God as hiding out and making it as difficult as possible for me to find him. But instead, I look and see that while I'm out doing the hiding, God is looking for me. And when I look through God's eyes at my lost self and discover God's joy at my coming home, then my life will become less anguished and more trusting. How do you see the Father? Can you accept that you are worth looking for? 
Do you believe that there is a real desire within God to simply be with you? This is sometimes the hardest part for me. But there is a father who is looking for us. A father who runs to us and invites us into his way of life, his party, his inexhaustible and unlimited love. If only we would accept it and be free. The story of the prodigal son is a story that speaks about a love that existed before any rejection was possible and that will still be there after all rejections have taken place. And it's offered to you through a relationship with Jesus. All you do is turn and accept it. Let's pray. God, thank you for being a God with inexhaustible and unlimited love that runs to us. And then after you found us, you invite us in. God, your love is amazing. And I pray that we would learn how to accept it and live in it and live out of it. God, meet each of us where we're at and help us walk towards you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.